Thank you for your singing this morning. I believe those involved in children's church can be dismissed at this time. Uh, if you didn't get the, uh, the notice, there are some handouts to go with the sermon if that's something that would help you. There's also some children's worksheets for uh, any boys and girls who are uh, beyond the age of children's church but want something to uh, help with that. Um, uh, pay attention to the sermon. And I've, I've also had adults who use them and say that it helps them to draw the pictures that we'll be drawing throughout the sermon. So if that's you, don't be afraid to get one of those as well. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I wonder, are, uh, are you a people person? Real people person. There, there really are uh, two, two types of people, generally speaking. There's those who are people people and those who aren't. Uh, some individuals just love being around people. They're the type of people, maybe they have a bubbling, overflowing personality. They are a conversationalist. They, they always have something to say. They love to talk and fellowship and being with other people. In fact, if they were the only person in the world, they would probably rather die than be the only person left on earth. That's just how they are wired. Then there's the other type of person, people who enjoy uh, solitude and quiet and tranquility, and maybe they uh, enjoy being alone. Maybe they're the person who, rather than keeping the conversation going, uh, they can't wait for the conversation to end. And uh, if they were the only person left on earth, they'd be delighted. Uh, two types of people, not, none of them's really right or wrong necessarily, though God is a relational God, and he did create us to relate to himself and to others. But some people are just wired to be people-type persons, and other people are not. It's interesting how this uh, dynamic kind of works out in, in, in my family and in my marriage with, with Emily. We're, we're kind of opposites in, in some senses, not polar opposites, but I'm, I'm definitely not the bubbling personality. I'm definitely not the life of the party guy, but I enjoy being around people. I'm the type of guy who on a Saturday morning when we have a free day on Saturday, I want to get up early and I want to say, what are we going to go do? Let's have an adventure. Let's go spend some time together. And my wife's idea of a perfect Saturday morning is to sleep in, have, have some time alone in her room. Maybe I take the boys out and she cleans the house or has some nice quiet time. We're, we're just a little different. Uh, not that she's antisocial or anything like that. And sometimes she's more of a people person than I am, but she enjoys time to herself. Uh, sometimes we'll, uh, we'll give each other a break and we'll say, do you want to go you know, take some time and uh, I'll go fishing or, or something like that. And for me, it'll take like an hour or two or maybe an evening and I'm good to go. I'm ready to be back uh, with people again. Uh, and uh, and for, for her, uh, she's just wired a little differently. She likes to have time to herself. In fact, just this past weekend, uh, I took our boys on a man's weekend. On Friday night, we went down to Iowa Regular Baptist Camp. Our church had a men's retreat there, and I uh, took the boys there. On the way back, we decided to go camping, 
And so we had our pop-up camper, and there was some snow squalls and stuff overnight. A different story, but we had a man's weekend, and we were gone for you know two and a half days. And when I came back, um, my wife she she enjoyed every minute of it—the quiet, the solitude, the being alone. Uh, that's just how uh, how some people are wired. Some people are people people. Some people prefer their solitude. But when it comes to church life, believers in Jesus can often tend to enjoy their solitude. In our individualistic culture, we like to do life on our own, and maybe we tend to view church as a place that we come to on Sunday morning and then we kind of disconnect until the next week, rather than viewing the church as an integrated body. Uh, This isn't God's plan for the church. God God wants believers who are people, people. God desires that all of us be intimately connected and involved in the lives of one another. That's why scripture calls the church a body. And our text today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you're not there already, you can go ahead and turn there. Our text today is all about body life, how the church ought to function. And it's all about God's expectation for believers to be involved in one another's lives. Now, for the boys and girls out there, if you're following along in the children's worksheets, you can draw a picture of a church building. I just, uh, I'll show you what I draw here, just a kind of a church building. We're going to fill that in with some people as we go along through our sermons, so make sure you leave some room there. Uh, but our, our text today in 1 Thessalonians 5 is all about how we relate to one another inside that church building and what God expects of every one of us when it comes to body life. Body life as a, as a body in Christ. I entitled this message, Your Church, My Church, Our Church. Because we all are expected to play an active role in the health and life of our fellow church members. And so as we walk through our text this morning, there's one theme I want you to remember. This is our big idea for this morning. If this is all you can handle this morning, I hope you'll take this with you. Ministry is people. And we're all called to ministry. Ministry is people. And we're all called to ministry. So let's read our text this morning. Place this in the text of scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 14 through 15. Paul writes this. We urge you brethren. Warn the unruly. Encourage the weary. Support the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one might repay another with evil for evil, but always pursue that which is good for another and for all people. Ministry is people, and we're all called to ministry. That's what we find in our text this morning, and as we dive into our text this morning, we're going to ask the question, how ought I, as a church member, or as a part of Faith Baptist and Sox Center, or maybe you're visiting from another church this morning, how ought I to be involved in the people side of ministry with my church? And I think from our text today, we find five relational strategies for getting involved in what we could call the people side of ministry. 
Five strategies for getting involved in the people side of ministry. Now, as we think about our text, just to get an understanding of what's going on here, Paul writes to the church in a town called Thessalonica. It was a thriving metropolis. It was a port city. There were some Roman roads there. Paul had a personal firsthand experience with the church. He planted it. He was eventually run out of town and eventually sent uh, one of his protégés to be the pastor there. And as we come to our text today, it's in the midst of a passage on Christian living. If you were to uh, browse through verses 12 and 13 of our text, we see that Paul instructs the church how to relate to uh, their pastor. And he talks about that, highly esteem them for the labor among you. The section right after what we're looking at this morning, verses 16 through 22, Paul discusses how, uh, discusses how individual believers are to relate to God uh, in rejoicing and prayer and purity. You can see that if you skim through those, uh, those verses. But right in the middle of his discussion on Christian living, verses 14 and 15, he talks about how believers ought to relate to one another. And Paul seems to reiterate this idea that the ministry God has for each individual member or part of a church is a people-based ministry. And we're all called to do it. It's almost as if Paul is giving us the big idea this morning that ministry is people and we're all called to be involved in people ministry. And so as we uh, uncover what's in this text this morning, Paul gives us these five strategies for getting involved in people's side of ministry. The first one we find in the very beginning of verse 14, he simply says, warn the unruly. Warn the unruly for the boys and girls who are following along. You can draw a picture of an idle or unruly person. I just drew a guy who's maybe kind of sitting back. Maybe he's kind of watching everyone else do the work. Maybe he's... Uh, mocking or idly letting everyone else do the work. But Paul simply says this in the beginning of verse 14, we urge you, brethren, warn the unruly. Let's talk about what he means here. Notice how he starts with this word urge. This is an appeal. It's an exhortation. There's some urgency in Paul's words there. He is really concerned about what's going on in church life. And he gives a burning plea for how believers are to be involved in people ministry. Now, I would point out to you, we talked about the context. If you were to look back at verse 12, Paul uses a different word. He simply says, we ask you. Here he says, we urge you, we exhort you, you we admonish you. This is a, a passionate thing for the apostle Paul. He's pleading for his readers. The ministry God wants you to do is people ministry. And he instructs them how to essentially take care of business in the church. This is a passionate topic for the Apostle Paul. And notice what he instructs. He tells his readers to warn the unruly or the idle. This word warn carries the idea of instructing or admonishing someone. It's actually where we get our English word for counseling from. It's the, the Greek word luthateo. Uh, the biblical counseling movement was built off of that word. Paul's essentially saying you're going to have these people in your church. Give them a healthy dose of biblical counseling. The idea here is to put something into someone's mind to show them a, 
a deficiency that's in their life. In fact, in secular usage, if you were to study this term out, in secular usage, it was used of uh, someone to, who would instruct someone who had unintentionally given a false testimony. Maybe in a courtroom setting, they said something without knowing that they were wrong, and you were, you were going to come instruct them and show them how they were right. There's this corrective influence over this person. And Paul calls them the unruly person. Literally, this is someone who's disorderly, someone who's lazy, someone who's insubordinate. Actually, uh, for those of you military guys, this is a, or gals, this is a military term used of a soldier who was out of rank. And so Paul writes to the Thessalonian church and says, set this person right. Get them back in line. Sometimes in churches, there are these idle or unruly people that Paul talks about. People who are dysfunctional in their ministry. People who are perhaps out of line, out of rank, buck against the system. They're not fulfilling God's mission for themselves. Instead, they decided to fill their own mission to get what they want or work for their own agenda or pursue their preferences. Maybe they're causing issues in the church, leading others astray, uh, getting involved in gossip, those sort of things. But they're determined to be a hindrance and an opposition in the body of Christ. And rest assured, Paul had them in his day. You can read through that in this and other of his letters. And if Paul had them in his day, we have them in our day as well. People who oppose, criticize, sit on the sidelines. It's interesting, oftentimes people who do the most criticizing are the ones who fail in their own duty and ministry. And so Paul writes to the church and he gives them a strategy, a relational strategy, how to help, how to work through, how to deal with these people, he says, to warn them. He wants us to warn them, to show them their deficiency, to point out the error of their ways. Uh, the, the, the best way I can think of describing this is the illustration of one time when I was in an automobile accident. When I was, I think it was in high school, growing up in Pennsylvania, uh, we had a lot of freezing rain in the wintertime. And my mom and I were driving and we came around this steep hill with a sharp turn at the bottom. And we didn't know, but it had rained the night before and the hill was a sheet of ice. And as we went down around the corner, we started spinning and we spun into another car and we came around the corner and there was a whole mess of cars, you know, strewn all over the road. And so the first thing I did, praise the Lord, we were fine. First thing I did was I hiked to the top of that hill and I started waving cars down and flagging them. Go the other way. Don't go down the hill. It's a sheet of ice. You're going to have a problem. There's a big mess of cars down there. Uh, you, you better turn or you're going to face wipeout. This is the idea Paul has in mind in our text here when he says to warn this unruly person. Let them know that if they keep heading in the direction they're going, it's not going to turn out well. Sad to say, this is oftentimes not how we deal with the unruly people in churches today. Many times these idle, contentious people are left to exist Many times they display openly sinful actions and they're just allowed to exist in the church. Maybe they, they blow up or they explode when they don't get their way. Maybe they whisper and gossip and tell secrets when something happens that they don't like. 
And sometimes as a church, we can just get in the habit of kind of skirting around those people. Well, that's just kind of how they are, you know. Give them a little space and it'll blow over. That's not what Paul says to do here. Paul says we are to warn them. We are to warn them. We are to show them where their behaviors are leading. And notice with me that this is the responsibility of everyone in the church. This is not just for pastors as if it's, well, pastor, it's your job to deal with the problem people and make everything at peace so I can have a, a, a nice church life. No, we're, we're all to be involved in this type of ministry. If that's your view of how church works, well, pastor will just handle all the problems and it'll all be okay. You don't have a biblical view of how the church ought to be because this is for all of us. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. We will have to have hard conversations, but we still have to do it. And if we want churches today, even this church here, to move forward and progress and be what God wants the church to be, we need to follow Paul's instructions here. There will be unruly, contentious, idle people in the church. Don't let them go on like that care enough about them to do what Paul says. Sometimes you have to warn unruly people. Paul reminds us here that ministry is people, and we're all called to people ministry. God wants us to be involved in this type of ministry. The first way we do this is by warning the unruly. But if we go back to our text, we find way number two, the second relational strategy for the people side of ministry. Encourage the weary. Encourage the weary. Uh, Paul simply says that in verse 14. Simple words. Encourage the weary. Taken out right from the text. Now for the boys and girls, if you're following along in the children's worksheets, you can uh, draw someone who is a weary person in your church building. I just drew someone who's maybe in the back. They're, they're crying. They're hurting. They're weary. What does that mean? Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. What does he mean when he talks about weary? This is someone who is discouraged. It's actually interesting. The, the Greek word, it's, it's, it's a compilation of two words. It means weak-souled. Someone whose soul is weak. Someone who's weighed down with the burdens of life. Perhaps they're anxious. They're worried. Maybe it's the type of person who's given in to fear or discouragement. Some have actually described this individual as a timid person. This is the type of person who lives in fear. They're a type of person who's afraid to do anything new or anything different. This is the type of person who lives in the fear of people. They don't want to offend anyone. They care too much about what other people think. Uh, they fear the unknown, so they never really end up doing anything. Their soul is crushed and weak. They're weighed down and burdened. Do you know anyone like this? Someone who may be burdened, struggling under the weight of life. Maybe they're captivated by their fears, their worries, their anxieties. Someone who lives in fear of people. Reminds me of the title of the very excellent book by Ed Welch. It's called When People Are Big and God is Small. You might write that down. Excellent book. And oftentimes when these people are in the church, it can be incredibly difficult to move forward, to get anything done, because there is their fear of change freezes them in place. 
And their fear of man keeps them from doing anything that would make anybody even slightly unhappy or uncomfortable. And so Paul tells us how to minister to these type of individuals. He says to encourage them. Literally to come alongside that person, comfort them, be a friend to them. Really what he's telling us is these type of people require a personal investment. They need discipleship. If you've ever read the Old Testament story of David and Jonathan, I think that's a good illustration of what this might look like. If you remember the story, David and Jonathan were friends, and Saul, Jonathan's father, had committed to killing David because he knew he was supposed to be the next king. And David had been hiding around and running from Saul and in caves and fearing for his life. I mean, talk about someone who's worried. I mean, imagine. I mean, in those days, they didn't have gunshots you probably couldn't really hear the arrows coming for you or a spear hurled in the air. Imagine sneaking around the rocks wondering when you're going to get one in the back. I mean, talk about some anxiety. And the Bible says that Jonathan met up with David and Jonathan came to him and it says in, uh, in the Bible, I think I wrote down 1 Samuel 23, that Jonathan strengthened his hand in the Lord. That's the type of ministry we're to have to this weary type of individual this is how we're to relate to them and this is again this is for all of us this isn't just for pastors this isn't just for leaders in the church this isn't just a deacon type ministry though deacons can certainly do that this is for every church member here's where i like to tell people we're not all called to be the shepherd we're not all called to to be pastors to, to do pastoral ministry but we're all called to do the ministry of shepherding aren't we? We're all called to do the ministry of shepherding. So I wonder, who could you invest in in our assembly this morning? Who is there that could be a weary person? Someone who's overcome with the cares of this life, anxious, living in fear, frozen in time and space because they they can't move because of their worry who in the category of weak-souled could use your investment, your ministry, even today. Paul reminds us that ministry is people. We're all called to ministry. Ministry is people. We're all called to ministry. The second way we do this is by encouraging those who are weary. But if you look back in your text of Scripture, there's a, a third strategy that we can Uh, practice if we are to get involved in the people side of ministry that's to support the weak support the weak you can see it in your text of scripture verse 14 three simple words paul says support the weak boys and girls if you're following along in the children's worksheets you can draw a weak person i just drew someone who's kind of falling on their knees maybe they can't go on anymore they're crawling along spiritually Who is the weak person? Well, the weak person is someone who's weak in faith. Maybe they are new believers. Maybe they are people who still have some part of worldly living in their life. Maybe there's someone who doesn't have a lot of Bible knowledge. They're not very strong and secure in their faith. They have some growing to do and they really need some help. Maybe it's even the type of person who's about ready to to bail and, and leave the faith. 
Paul tells us that we have a very specific ministry when it comes to these weak people. We are to support them. We're to support them. Support means to be devoted to, to take a hold of someone who's wanting in moral courage or fortitude. We are to hold fast to them. I kind of think of linking arms with them and pulling them up when they're about ready to fall and give up. Sometimes this word for weak can be used of someone who's weak physically, weak or sick. I think in the text here, it probably refers more to someone who has a weakness of faith. They're struggling spiritually. Maybe they don't know if they can go on. Maybe they're ready to bail on the faith. Maybe it's those who are new believers and they're young in faith and they just need some extra discipleship and training. Paul says we're to support them. We're to cling to them like magnets cling together. We're to take interest in them. We're to look out for those who are struggling and weak spiritually. When I was in, my, in college, one of my professors used to tell us the phrase, walk slowly through the crowd. I love that phrase. I think I probably used it before. I use it a lot because I think it's so important to help us envision how we should go about body life, how should we should go about church. His, uh, his point was that sometimes in the hustle and bustle of ministry, it can be so easily just to kind of rush in and rush out. and We don't take time to look around. We don't see people who are here. We don't see those who are the weak or weary people. And we may miss an opportunity to invest in those who really need some help. But if we walk slowly through the crowd, we take some time, we look around, we might find that there are opportunities right here in this room for us to get involved in people ministry. Friends, we need to walk slowly through the crowd. There will be people in churches today, in this church and other churches, people who are ready to give up spiritually. Maybe they just can't seem to get victory over a particular sin. Maybe there's a spiritual truth that they're really struggling to grasp and they're, they're burdened by that. Maybe they're even struggling with attraction to a lifestyle that the Bible condemns. Perhaps they question things. Like, why should I pray? Does going to church make a difference? How do I know God is really there? These types of people should be able to get help from the church. These type of people in churches today need to have discipleship and investment. When these type of people are in the church and they're, they're left that way, oftentimes they give up on their spiritual life or maybe they keep a church immature and hinder growth. We need to support these type of individuals. We need to be there for them in their time of need and their struggle. This is the ministry of the body. This is how we get involved in people ministry to one another. I wonder who needs your support this morning. Maybe it's a teenager. Perhaps a young person. Maybe a mother or father who's struggling. Retired individual. Maybe a single mom. Someone who recently lost a loved one. Someone who doesn't have family around. I don't know who it might be. But Paul reminds us that ministry is people. 
God wants us all to be involved in a people type of ministry. The third way that we do this is to support those who are weak. Well, let's go back to our text of Scripture this morning. We find a fourth strategy, relational strategy, for getting involved in the people side of ministry. That's to endure the challenging. To endure the challenging. Look at it in verse 14 with me, the very end. Paul says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Now, boys and girls, if you're uh, taking notes in the kids' worksheets, you can draw someone in the church who might be challenging. I just drew someone who kind of has their hands up. Maybe they're making a fuss about something. I can't believe this happened. They're a challenging person. Someone you have to deal with. Maybe someone who has a complaint. But notice what Paul says in our text. Be patient with everyone. When he says everyone, I think he means everyone. Whether it be the unruly person, the weak person, the weary person, or anyone else we may encounter in people ministry, we are to respond to them with patience. We are to persist with them patiently. In fact, I think the fact that Paul mentions this and brings this up and implies that there are going to be those people who are going to try your patience. You don't have to be around church life too long before you meet them. It's a sure thing. Some people are challenging. Some people try our patience, but notice Paul's instruction. We need to meet them with endurance. Maybe these are people who cause us to be weary, people who we invest in and invest in and they never seem to grow. Maybe it's those who know what they need to do in their spiritual life and they're just not ready to take the next steps. Maybe they're undisciplined or unspiritual in their life and that that causes us some frustration. Maybe this could even be the type of person who's just a a time eater. They, They eat up your time and you invest and invest and invest and get very little return on your investment and they're just kind of clinging. It's exasperating. These may be the type of individuals that we're tempted to not show patience towards. Paul says, show patience to all men. Endure the challenging. I wonder, who do you know in your spiritual church life that needs your patience, your long-suffering, your forbearance? We understand, of course, that people grow in different ways, Sometimes, if we lack patience, we might tend to try to force growth. Maybe it's the unruly person. We want to admonish them with a theoretical slap across the face. Get in line. Maybe it's the weary person. And we want to look down on them and think, oh, if, if, they, if they think that's hard, if they only knew how hard my life is and how easy they have it, Maybe it's a weak person, and we have the tendency to be frustrated. Why won't you just grow? You've been part of the church this long. You've been saved for this long. Why can't you get it into your head? No. Paul tells us those are not the ways we minister to people. We are to be patient. Patience is the virtue that should temper every action and interaction with other believers in the church. When I think of this, I think of the illustration of God the Father with his chosen people, Israel. 
You look at the Old Testament, you read through the prophets and so many of the, the stories of Israel's uh, forsaking God and God drawing them back over and over and over again. God was patient. God was patient even with his chosen people. That's how God wants us to be in the body of Christ, the church. There are going to be those who may be challenging those who would let us down, those who would discourage us, those who would just be difficult to deal with. They want to try our patience. But we need to be patient with the challenging. I wonder who needs your patient this mor- patience this morning? Who is a challenge to you? Who have you been struggling with? Maybe you kind of have that abrasive relationship. Maybe your lack of patience could be hindering their growth. Paul reminds us, ministry is people. We're all called to ministry. Let's go back to our text as we cross into verse 15. We find our final strategy for being involved in the people's side of ministry. You see it there in verse 15. We're told to love the hateful. Love the hateful. Paul says, see to it that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Boys and girls, if you're still with me, you can draw a picture of someone in the church who's doing something hateful. I just kind of drew someone who's kind of leaning over. Maybe they're whispering, spreading some gossip or slander. Paul acknowledges that even in the body of Christ, there will be those who are unkind and those who are hateful. And if this was evident in the early church, even in a church that was started by the Apostle Paul, I think we can safely assume these type of things are involved in churches today. Paul says, when it comes to this hateful person, don't give this person evil in return for evil. He says, instead, we need to love them, to do good to them, to show them kindness Uh, Notice in your text of scripture how Paul says, see to it that you do this. This is the idea of being careful to do it, to pay pay close attention, to make sure, if nothing else, make sure you do this to this type of person. Pay special attention to make sure when people treat you in a wrong way, you don't give them the same. I wonder, are you careful how you treat those who might mistreat you? Do you pay attention to not hurt them? Paul says we need to. We need to take special care to do good to those who might oppose us. Here we have the reality of people ministry. We've been talking about people ministry today and getting involved in the lives of people. This is the reality of people ministry. If you're going to get involved with people, there's a good chance you're going to get hurt. You're going to have people who do hurtful things even hateful things to you. You will love people and they will walk away from you. Your greatest friends might become your greatest enemies. People will gossip about you and slander your reputation and seek to destroy you. And this is a very deep, cutting pain. But even in the midst of this, Paul reminds us our faith must control our response. And this is where it can get tough. Because many times we don't want to do that. 
Many times our first reaction is, what? I don't get mad. I get even. You know, I'll have my day. You just wait and see. You ever thought those things are human responses to lash out? Paul says, don't do that. Instead, show love. Be patient. Don't give them evil for evil. Give them good. Do good, which is for everyone. Pursue what is good. It's interesting, the word uh, translated here for pursue. It means to seek after. It's actually the same root word used for persecution in the Bible. When someone's persecuted, they're pursued for um, following Christ. can carry the idea of to chase down. Is that how you respond to your enemies? You chase them down, not to give them evil, but to give them good. Jesus Christ, of course, provides the ultimate example for us of this. Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross, he didn't give evil for evil. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loved people. He got involved in people ministry to the extreme, and even when they killed him, he still gave them good in return. This is how we are to respond to those who might be hurtful or hateful in our spiritual lives. Perhaps you've been there. You, you fall into that category of someone who's been treated hurtfully. Maybe even in your testimony, you haven't given good for evil. Maybe you've, you've dished it out. Paul reminds us that's not how we are to respond. Maybe if you've been guilty of that, you need to Take care of that with that person if necessary. God wants us to repay evil with good. Paul reminds us ministry is people. We're all called to ministry. Today we saw five relational strategies that we need for engaging in the people side of ministry. Paul tells us warn the unruly, encourage the weary, support the weak, Endure the challenging and love the hateful. Notice that this is what ministry really is all about. Paul doesn't tell the church, get involved in Awana, do Sunday school, help the Easter egg hunt, run the sound room. Not to diminish those things, those are important. Paul tells us the ministry we need to focus on is a people type of ministry. That's what we need to prioritize. Ministry is people, and we're all called to ministry. Now, I open this morning by asking you, are you a people person? I wonder what, what your response would be. Whether you're drawn to people or not, whether you like to hang with other people or whether you prefer your solitude, God's desire when it comes to how we relate in the church is that we be people people. That we're the type of people who want to invest in other people. I wonder, are you involved in that type of ministry here at your church? Do you have someone who you are investing in? Do you warn those who are unruly or do you just kind of let them do their thing? Do you encourage the weary or do you let them flounder in their walk? Do you support the weak or do you let them continue in their struggle? Do you endure with those who are challenging or do you give up and say, I've had enough? 
Do you love the hateful? Or do you seek retribution? I wonder, who do you have in your life that you are ministering to even this week? I like what Dr. Les Ola, the Chancellor of Northland Baptist Bible College, said when I was at college. He used to say, everyone needs a Paul, a pattern. A Barnabas, a peer. And a Timothy, a project. Who do you have? Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I, I really want to do this, but I, I don't know how. I don't know if I can. I don't know what to do, what to say. Can I just encourage you this morning that you can do this? You can play an active role in the growth of the believers here at your church, and you can do that because Jesus did that. And Jesus left us the ultimate example, and by following the example of Christ, we learn that Jesus warned the unruly. Jesus encouraged the weary. He supported the weak. He was patient with all people. He gave love when those were hateful. He is our ultimate example of how we ought to relate to one another. And in fact, he has given us his Holy Spirit to live with inside of us and empower us so that we can do what he wants us to do. Perhaps you want to ask, well, how? What are some practical steps? Let me just give you a couple thoughts this morning. These are not profound, but they might be some first steps that you could take. Maybe for you, you can... Go around and ask some questions to people. How can I pray for you? Or how can our church better minister to you? Or what's God doing in your life? Is there something that I can help you with? You can warn, encourage, support, persist, or love others over coffee. You can do this by hosting a game night, having people over for dinner. You can do this by sending a text or a phone call or an email or a card. People still do that today. Through a Bible study, inviting someone to uh, come over, have a Bible study, praying personally with somebody. These are all ways that you can warn, encourage, support, persist, and love. And, and you can come up with your own ways. doesn't matter how you do it. Just do it. Sometimes it's difficult. Especially if you're talking about warning the unruly person. And sometimes we have to be willing to have hard conversations. It will take time to get involved in people ministry. We will have to work with people and be with them and get to know them and share ourselves with them. But it is worth it. I hope that today you'll develop a vision for this type of ministry. I love in our text how Paul so clearly describe different categories of people and different types of ministry that they require. Challenge for you today is to find someone in one of these categories and step into their life so that you can minister to them. Ministry is about people. We're all called to ministry. I want to leave you this morning by casting a vision. What would Faith Baptist Church look like if everyone here took this text and plugged it into their life today. What incredible ministry would we have if we all practice these relational strategies? I think the church would be an interconnected web of people stepping into each other's lives to do specific people ministry as needed. And let me just say, this type of community of believers, this type of faith family is compelling to those who are without. 
And so as our worship team comes this morning, I want to leave you with the challenge. I want to challenge you to dream. What could you all accomplish together? If you were the type of faith family described in this text today, ponder that this week and envision how you personally might play a part in helping your church get involved in people ministry. Would you bow with me as we pray this morning? Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this text of scripture, which instructs us how to relate to one another. It's not always easy. Sometimes there are difficult conversations that need to be had. Sometimes there's time and investment. We ask you to help us that we would catch a vision for the type of ministry you want us to be involved in and that we would be the type of people and that this would be the type of church that has the type of faith, family, and compelling community we see uh, exemplified for us in this text this morning. Help us, Father, to be what we need to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.